it's hard to say, like, if you removed culture completely or, or knowledge of food, I think like you could try stuff and be like, this is good for me, or and this is not. Sure. It says they like the sweeter stuff better. Well, that's why I like Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah? That, that Interesting. Sense. Yeah. Well, that's why, like, we, we talk about... You, well, Sweet, you, good. You found... Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Deer Grow. Man, it's almost food plot season, Jared, and Deer Grow is one of those products that has really changed the way that we plant food plots and the success we've seen from them. No doubt. I've been, you know, trying to plant food plots my, my entire you know, whitetail hunting career, which is a little shorter than yours, but the minute that I started or that I, you know, I realized that I could get Deer Grow back into some of these remote plots where I couldn't get lime or fertilizer, especially in the 50 pound bag, you know, format, mm-hmm. so everything was changed. You know, I could get into these spots uh, moving forward with a, with a backpack sprayer and that since escalated to these 40 or 60 uh, gallon sprayers and we're doing upwards of you know five to ten acre food plots just with your grow and having phenomenal success yeah and i mean with the price of fertilizer lime diesel everything this year i mean what better way to get in there and grow a successful food plot at about a third of the cost check out deer grow at deergrow.com and we're back hey on our podcast 99 mm-hmm. one way from 100 if you can do math Apparently. Yep. I, I, all my counting's in nines these days. <laughs> <laughs> what? I have nine figures. Oh, nine count. figures, yeah. Can't count like, to ten. That would be ten of these. So I go by nines, bunches of nine. Yeah. It's very interesting. You know, it's, uh, well, today is September, or oh, September, I wish, October 26th. Mm-hmm. We are, like, balls deep at this point. Yeah, man. I mean, we're we're in it. To the point where, like, I literally think it was the last podcast where, like, oh, dude, it's, like, whenever, October 11th. Like, don't worry about it. We have plenty of time. Now I'm, like, sweating, like, nerves. Like, okay, man, the next 14 days are, like, this is key. This is clutch. Don't, um, you can't be nervous. You just got to get after it. I'm tell- I think you're under under uh, not giving this front enough credit. I think it's the one we've been waiting for. So we're in Pennsylvania. So for anybody listening to this, there's a front literally moving from <clears throat> the Midwest through the Northeast um, now. I would say that anybody that's in probably Iowa, Missouri, Illinois, probably is through Start the front. Today. So today, yeah. Wednesday on the 26th, you're getting... You're getting it pretty good. In fact, I think David Holder killed a decent buck. I don't know how that Iowa. guy kills, like... Just the same giant eight point every yeah. year. He killed, he killed a, it looked like a stud. I mean, I think it they is. just kind of teased it. I didn't see a full picture of I it. Did. They oh, did. You know who else killed a giant? Is uh, Sean. Oh, Luchtel. Yeah, a giant. Dang, man. Yeah. Oh, I did see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, <clears throat> I am, I'm not, well, here's what's happened is we had record temperatures, as I think most did. I mean, it was 80 degrees yesterday well and unfortunately after this front that first week in november looks pretty garbage so i mean you know and we'll probably talk about that with our guests today of kind of like how we get into the strategy of that but um so you and i and my dad went up to hunt with steve shirk in the allegheny national forest this past week which you see that yeah represent like a little that. uh bow martonic mm-hmm. uh, east meets west very cool the old deer camp yeah yeah saw these bow like posted them and i was like yeah Really cool. In Dig. fact, that kind of is a design that we were looking at from a hunter set. We're like, how do we make like a cool? Yeah, I dig it. Yeah, he did it. So congrats, cool. Bill. Thanks for the hoodie. Um, but yeah, so we were up with Steve and man, we hit what I believe to me, that was the cold front. It was in retrospect. I think we were a little bit early uh, date wise, but I mean, you couldn't have planned a better front to come through for us to hunt Thursday and Friday 
in the Allegheny National Forest. Yeah. I think in hindsight, we were over-optimistic is not the word. We didn't quite know what we were getting into. Sure. I mean, that's part of it. I mean, that's why we went up there and hunted with them is like, you know, it's huge tracts of public land. And, and, you know, Steve's guide service, and he'll tell you, is very loosely run. Like, I mean, it's basically here's an area, here's deer that we've got in the area, and, and, you know, he may, if well, you want him to, put you in a spot. But. And over-optimistic is not at all the word to describe the the outfitting service. I mean, our time with, with the Shirks was, was awesome, and Steve's dad's a, a big oh, part of dude, that. Oh, dude, our deer camp experience was, was yeah, fun as hell. Yeah, it was amazing. We, we had a blast. Met some great guys up there at camp. Like, you get there, and there's the three of us and basically three or four people that we've never met before. Yeah. And, like, by the time you leave there, you're like, group text in and like, Hey man, like keep me posted on the year. Like that's what it's about. In fact, you know, for those that don't know, you know, this is kind of my dad's return year. You know, he had a pretty bad bout with cancer last year and, and essentially missed the whole season, you know, got through that. And so this is kind of his return year. And really this was the first hunt back into it. And it's like, you know, I think we, uh, we, we probably are going to spoil them in Kansas. So this was more of a reality check of like, hey, let's put you in the Allegheny National yeah. Forest. This is like a, a morning fast just to get the system <laughs> cleansed. Yeah. Yeah. But it, like he said, we were driving home and he's like, he's like, dude, he's like, that was a deer camp. Yeah. Like that was fun. Like just getting up, talking, reminiscing old stories and stuff like, you know, hey, did you see anything? No. What do you think about this? We're looking at maps and stuff like it was cool. Yeah. That's one thing that I haven't got to experience in a while is like <clears throat> the one. You know, because we don't do a lot of guided hunts, but one, like, one really cool thing about it is, like, you do get thrown into a camp with a bunch of guys that you don't know, and, like, you're hunting different areas, so it's not like, oh, I'm seeing guys yeah, everywhere. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's fun. It's like, you get to meet some new people and, and hang out in camp and share that experience, so, yes, it was fun. That was fun, yeah, and, I mean, again, the weather was perfect. <clears throat> you know, we were there the 20th to the 22nd, and, um, frankly, the deer weren't. You know, um, we hunted hard. You and I ended up, uh, what, midday Friday or Thursday? Midday Thursday. We started Wednesday night. Yeah, midday Thursday that you and I both just went and put miles on. Like, yep. we just went and walked trying to find these deer. And I found a giant, like a mountain giant, and I ended up bumping them. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, just scrapes locked up. Like, it. I mean, <laughs> I not wa- a deer. I walked seven and a half miles and didn't find a thing. <laughs> I, I ended up back in the right same back tree. Right the same tree. <laughs> I did. Uh, so Saturday morning, we kind of some most people left. Did you see a deer from the stand? No, you didn't either. No, not a deer from the stand. Me neither. On the ground, I did. You know, stalking through. A, I was stalking through a clear cut. Yeah. As soon deer. as I got in my truck and started driving home, I was scared. One, there's one. I did Saturday. There are deer there. Saturday when I went and pulled my stand, uh, Steve's dad gave me his twenty gauge, and I missed a grouse. You missed one. <laughs> yeah, which was fun. Yeah, so, that's cool. Um, but yeah, so you know, it was it was a cool time. I mean, man, it, it, but it, oh, first of all, beautiful country, like, holy cow, man, like peak color change, like felt like big bucks, like you, you were it, but it just, you know, wasn't meant to be. And, um, well, it seemed like, uh, in, in talking to some big woods guys after the fact, like they're, they weren't that surprised. They're like, yeah, you said a lot. Like, you know, our guest today yeah. was like, yeah, I'm just 15 times and, yeah, and didn't see a deer, but you know, I, it seems like they're just held up. I mean, wherever they're bed, which I mean, I don't know. To me, it seems like them clear cuts, and they just—they're not coming out of them. They—they they know that people are hunting the fringes, and they just—they mm-hmm. don't come out. So our guest today is Jake Belinda, who's also a PA guy, Big Woods Public Land, and um, you know, we're, we'll get into a discussion with him. One of the things that Steve and I kind of talked about here, and he's got a buddy with some connections on the research side, is you know, the acorn crop is is 
Trash. non-existent this year in most places uh, and even in like my place in Kentucky and stuff like just gone and so uh he's got a bunch of this this researcher has a bunch of bucks collared mature bucks collared and daylight movement on average the week that we were there was 100 yards and so what we're kind of coming to the conclusion of and I guess it's all it's all you know subjective we're just predicting this is it is that because the acorn crop is not that good, these bucks are holding tight to clear cuts and feeding mainly on browse. They're not going to get the fat reserves as they would in a year where there's just plentiful acorns. And so you have to think that the next two to three weeks, these bucks are going to forget about food and think about only does, and their bodies are going to get run down. Biologically, I would have to believe something in their mind right now is saying, hey, as much as you want to go out and start cruising and working scrapes and stuff, don't. Because three weeks from now, you're going to pay the price because you're not going to have the fat reserves to get you through winter. Yeah. So I think they're just, they're I holding mean, tight and clear cuts and they're feeding on whatever browse they can. And at some point the door will wide open and they'll just go, but it, it makes sense. There's just no reason. Like, why would you come out of like, you know, it, they're not small clear cuts. I mean, these are 30, several 40 acre, acre plus. clear cuts at yeah. the, you know, on the smaller end. And, uh, you know, they can just, they're safe in there. They're, nobody goes in them. That's They're full of food, mm-hmm. you know, and there's no acorns outside of it. And no does either because the does are doing the same thing. Absolutely. So there's just no, it's just like they're not going to leave this 10% good habitat to go and explore the rest of it. Not Quite not the right contrast, now. dude, to what we see, you know, in my farm, which is agricultural and their area. Move, you had got, a buck move two miles. Crazy, right? Two miles. Crazy. This Already. Last night when yeah. I woke up in Texas. Yeah, I had, that's. Lebrowski, mm-hmm. uh, he's, he's a five-year-old buck, as far as I can tell. I finally was able to get access to an area this summer where I, I was, okay, here's where he's summering. Mm-hmm. He made his, it seems like every October, he stops over at one of our farms once, mm-hmm. and he just pops into this food plot. There he is, broad daylight. Yep. This year it was October 21st. Yep. And then this morning, I got pictures of him on another new farm. Like I, I didn't measure it, but probably two miles away Crazy. with not a lot in between. Well, but he's got corn and he's got soybean. Like his... He's not worried about food. His plate is there's plentiful, even yeah. though there's no acorns. Versus these mountain deer, which it's it's browse at this point. Yeah. So pretty wild. Yeah, it's crazy, man. But um, so it'll be real exciting to talk to Jake today. Kind of dive into his strategy, his experience on these big woods and public land. I will say, you know, one of the things that you know, uh, even just kind of rehoning the skills is that few days in Allegheny National Forest made me probably a sharper hunter the rest of the season. Yeah. Because, I mean, dude, I was literally, I was joking with uh, Shirk. I was like, yeah, I'm marking droppings, like literally deer droppings. That's how desperate I was to find fresh sign for for deer. Not just bucks, like any freaking deer alive. Mm -hmm. And so, like, on my map, I'm marking droppings, and I'm like, oh, jeez. Yeah. Things got rough in a hurry here. (laughs) Yeah. We definitely learned a lot. I mean, if nothing else gave us some context, you know, I I assume, you know, we'll be back in a big woods setting again in the future, whether it's, it's, it's that one specific. I'll be in Kentucky. And I mean, it's very similar to that. Um, it's tough hunting and yeah, cool. So, well, let's bring Jake in and we'll get cranking. Hey. All right. I appreciate you holding tight there. We kind of Gave our little prelude catch up here over the we get wrapped. Jeremy up and I don't get to talk enough. Is is the problem, especially during deer season? We like well, normally we do. Like when it's not deer season, yeah, we just bullshit about deer all the time. But like when we're running and gunning, we're now, just so in the in, in the in the mode. <laughs> yeah, so it's just uh, it's recap time as well. But uh, but Jake, yeah, aw- awesome to have you on here, man. Really uh, appreciate you taking some time this morning. 
you yeah, know, I appreciate it. You, you kind of heard us in that in that little bit of a prelude there that you know we were up with Steve in, in Allegheny National Forest, and I know that public land big woods is kind of I don't know, call it your passion. Would you say? Yeah, it's just. Uh, I mean, we can dive in real deep on like why it's my passion is you know, I. So my prehistory of playing baseball and then my career basically getting ended, um, I switched my entire focus of life onto like, what's the next like thing that gets you up in the morning, get keeps you going, mm-hmm. you know, as being a at- prior athlete, um, that challenge of big woods and whitetails kind of just is that, that challenge is what drives me. And that's kind of where I fell in love with it even more. And it just, it's snowballs every year i love it more and more and it's a, just that challenge is i think what you know fills my void so to speak that's funny man because it, it is something that um you know i was an athlete in high school and college and so was jared and, and like it is funny how um you'll talk to somebody and this is no knock to them but if they didn't do competitive sports especially at a at a high school or collegiate level you know i won't say that they lack a drive but but it's very hard for them to understand like at, you know sports for most of us that were in it, I mean, it, it was life. Like it, it was why you got up in the morning. It was you str- every day you were striving to become better at whatever your, you know, sport was or expertise was. Yep. Um, and it's funny how I think a lot of us carry that over to deer hunting. Um, and it's not necessarily because like we're looking to be competitive against one another as much as competitive against ourselves, I guess. Yeah, competitive nature. Jake, Jay, can you fill us in on like your, your baseball background? Like, yeah. So, um, pretty much I, after high school, I went to Lockhaven university. Um, I chose it because my friends and obvious and honestly, because the deer hunting that was around it. <laughs> um, so being a pitcher, um, I, I did, I had a really good career there and then ended up getting drafted out of uh, college my senior year uh, to the Atlanta Braves, which I played there for a few years before injuries and just pre-existing. I just couldn't compete at that level. Like I, I, I didn't take care of my body at a young age mm-hmm. caught up with me in the later part of life. Um, so, I mean, that was just, I thought it was my calling following my family footsteps as my uncle played 12 years in the big leagues. Um mm. It was just one of those things. Like I thought that was like in yeah. my whole life, I was like, this is it. This is the only thing I'm doing. I'm going to be a professional baseball player. I'm going to go the whole way and make a career out of it and got cut short, but that is what it is. And, uh, Jake, you know, how, did, how did you, um, and not like the pride in a personal life, but you know, and I, I, I just kind of related to my own, not at that level. I mean, you were further than I was, but like, how did you process knowing that you had to end it. Um, it honestly, like it had a bet. So I got in like my shoulder and elbow. Basically I lost flexibility from a preexisting injury from high school. Wow. Um, I played football. Like we were a good football team, played basketball. And, but the, the wear and tear on a pitcher's arm, if you do not take care of it, um, it, you basically, you know, when you're, 15 years old, you can touch, bend down and touch your toes. When yep. you're 25, it's a little harder. And when you're 35, you can't do it. Yep. So that just over time, you get, you just can't use that flexibility. And that flexibility is kind of what 
makes you that special athlete. Mm-hmm. I didn't take care of it to the point I needed to. And just, that was it. Hmm. But I basically came home, hung up the cleats and found, and just was like, okay, if this is over, like what's my next greatest thing that I sure. absolutely love with. Yeah, and I was like hunting and fishing. Like, yeah. So I decided that that then and there, like, I want to make a career or a livelihood or something in the outdoor industry. Very cool. Um, and that's you know where I am today. And the whole when you start circling everything back, um, that's why I came up with the name, the void. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm basically filling the void of being a pre, you know, a past athlete to now I'm a hunter outdoorsman you know conservationist that's my i'm filling that void of everyday life with the outdoors that's very cool. how how was it you know in in your college days and then even as you went into the pro side did you find yourself like yearning to hunt and fish because you had to commit so much of your time to yeah. uh, the sport I, side yeah you you know what's funny is i talk to a lot of other athletes even professionals and they're like man it's such a grind because it, you get to a point where it's it's the only thing you do. That's you wake it. up at 6 a.m., you go to lift, you, you have a nutrition program. Like you are doing it like nine to 11 months out of the year. Yep. And those few months you get off, some people have families or wives, girlfriends, mm-hmm. or kids, some people, you know, and then the others that are hunters are just, that's all they want to do. Yep. So that's where the connection of once I was done, I just like, I, cause I got, I got done playing in the end of August. Well, it might, it was the beginning of September, mid September sometime. So it was going right into hunting season. Yeah. <laughs> it just transitioned. And then once like that hunting season was over, I was like, man, do I want to ramp back up into like my, and try and make it again? And I was like, no, mm. I just basically made that decision. Yeah. And that's, and that's a big thing with a lot of, like athletes is the hunting world. There's so many guys out there that play sports, you yeah. know, that I talk to and they're like, man, I just can't wait to get in a tree. Can't That's wait it, to get man. it is, it is a competition and, and challenge in, in like within ourselves. I mean, you know, obviously when we're playing on a team sport or against other people, like there is that in between challenge, but still every day, like that mentality of getting up early and working yourselves out and making your body better is that's a self challenge. That's, you know, there's no opponent against you in that case. It's just you. No. And that's, and you'll, and what's funny is you, today's world, the more you consume content and internet and what's going on, like you'll see like mountain ops and stuff like pushing you as a hunter, like elk shape and deer. Now that's just athletics that's turned that's transitioned (laughs) into the deer world yeah like an outdoor world like it's there's no difference it's just now people that didn't have that through college or maybe high school Mm -hmm. now they're later they're like oh okay for me to do these hunts i need to be in shape and it just for athletes it transitions a little easier sure for athletes it's a little bit more of a learning curve Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that's where like you know, the, the guys like the three of us and a lot of people listening to this who live it year round, it's an easy adaptation from the athlete side, right? Cause it never stopped on that end. So that's why we, you know, whether it's shed hunting or scouting or whatever, like we're constantly thinking about it. We're constantly trying to learn more and better ourselves year round. Cause that, that's what we did our entire lives from an athlete standpoint. Yeah. And then you can transition that even 
not only into just hunting and and whatever but you can transition that into business like yes what because it you know there's a lot of people that want to be self-employed or self-motivated or do better every day they're not happy with their lives or their jobs well just continuing to build day in and day out challenging yourself you're going to honestly make yourself better which you're going to be in a better position next week than you were this week just gotta hustle baby that's it that's it that's That's what it comes down to that's cool man um well we share we share a lot of those thoughts And, and again it's not um it's not to point out anybody who doesn't do that. Like, I mean, if you work an eight to four job and and you work for somebody and you're happy doing what you're doing and you can, you know, awesome. But if you're, if you're working an eight to four job and you're not happy in life, first of all, stop and think about how much time you spend at work in, in, in accordance to your life. And if every day you go to work and you're not happy, I know it's easier said than done, but man, try to change, try to, try to figure out something to, to improve the quality of life versus uh, I'm at this job eight to four every day and I hate it. You know, I hate everything about it. It's like, man, well then why do it for 20 years? Yeah. I, I have that discussion with a lot of my friends. I mean, I, my one best friend, he works construction. He loves it because he's especially, he's gotten himself better and better and he's now into a specialty Mm -hmm. and he's now a boss and runs his own crew but it took him a little and but he could have stayed in that bottom man on the totem pole, but he worked up because he actually liked it and loved mm-hmm. it. Yeah, um, that's it, man. That's the cap. I mean, it's really hard to improve yourself, whether it's sports or hunting or or work, um, if you don't like what you're doing. Yes. <laughs> you're forcing yourself to try to adapt and it, it frankly just won't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I do. I got to the point where I can't. I can't do like. There's some stuff that's like I feel like I should do. Uh-huh. I just can't do it. Like especially during deer season, where it's like, yeah, I just want to do what I want to do. Like it just it feel <laughs> feels right, and it it takes the sacrifice in those other areas. I think to like be able to get to a place where you can whatever it is financially afford or have a flexible enough schedule to to do it. But it's like, man, that's 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 the freedom that we're mm-hmm. we're trying, and that's you know, circle back to your guys's experience for, and this is where it comes in. And I try to tie people into my life is when you were up there in the big woods, you weren't thinking about the the fast paces of life. Like today's world, we're so fast paced. Like the next thing, like you go into inner cities, everything's flying around. Everybody's busy constantly. Nobody has five minutes to stop and talk to small mm-hmm. talk. Chat. Like everything's super fast paced where when you start hunting in those big woods settings like you were like it's you everything slows down there's nothing else in your mind besides central focused on okay what's the next task at hand do i have to find a hot sign scrapes Mm -hmm. like you said find deer sign in general yeah it was just it you broke down the simplest form of why you're out there like Mm -hmm. you're trying to find a buck to hunt, to harvest, and enjoy your time while you're there. So it it, it broke down your whole life into one singular moment. It makes it a lot harder, I think, to go back into like those fast paced environments. Like having oh, once you man. Ex- once you experience like coming coming off a you know whatever a rut week or you know where you're just you're solely focused on like pursuit of an animal. Like one one thing, like you said, it's, it's just simple. It's, it's primal, you know, and it's what we love to do. It's it's hard to 
to plug back in. And, and I think it gives a lot of perspective as to like, man, it's like, what are we doing? Like all these people that don't have, t- you know, five minutes to talk or they run around doing a million things. It's just like, why, you know, what, mm-hmm. what for, like, what do you, what do you chase? What's the end goal? Right. Yeah. What is the goal? And that's where us, we're biologically ingrained, you know, to, to be the apex predator. Sure. That's, that's why I think us, hunters and humans are just so like we why we love it so much it's just also in our dna mm-hmm. yeah i think a lot of athletes probably are are chasing that feeling like it's just it's yeah. the activity that was given to them or that they were introduced to early on it's like how do i whether it's inner competition or i just want to be the best i want to like you know i want to find that whatever like that, that that sole focus that thing yeah. that i can i can just you know be myself at um i think a lot of people get introduced to, to hunting or or really dive into it further when they get something else taken away from them. Mm-hmm. Like th- th- mine's no different. I wasn't a professional athlete by any means, but <clears throat> I mean, I was, I played a bunch. I was racing motocross and wrestling and playing football and stuff in seventh, eighth grade. And in ninth grade, I got a really bad motocross accident that prevented me from doing any more physical sports. And I felt the same way. I mean, I wasn't, like I said, at a professional level there, but I was, that's what I did. I played mm-hmm. sports. I was like outside of school and friend. That's what I was investing myself into. And I had hunted. I mean, I had been exposed to hunting and trapping and stuff. And so when those other activities were taken away from me, I felt exactly that way. I was like, what do you mean I can't wrestle? Like I was going to wrestle for yeah. the rest of my life. Like that's what I was going to yeah. gonna How do. do. You fill that void? And there from that go. point on, I, that's for me, the benchmark in my life where I started turning towards bow hunting. And it's, I mean, it's evolved ever since then, but. Mm-hmm. And that's those stories right there is the exact like testimonials on like why I came up with the name I did. It's yeah, everybody yeah. There's a reason why you're filling your void. Mm-hmm. Like there's something in your life, whether it happened at an early age, maybe it might happen at mid midlife. Like everybody has that moment on why they mm-hmm. now pursue, uh, you know, hunting, maybe archery hunting, maybe it's waterfowl yep. or whatever, yeah. you know, a little bit harder. Yeah. And I think that they're, you know, and that's a very specific group. I think it's still a large group of us that, that feel that way. Then, um, you know, probably the majority of the hunting uh, population, I would say does hunting as just part of life. Mm -hmm. And and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. It's just, you know, maybe they go out for opening day or maybe it's the deer camp thing. Yeah. Tradition. Yeah. Meat. Absolutely. And there's nothing, the hard part there is um, for them to try to put themselves in our place when they're like, man, like this guy literally, it's whatever, March, and he's like out in the woods walking 10 miles, you know, looking at sign, like, yeah, why, man? It's like, it just finally got warm. Like, you should be doing something. It's like, no, I'm ate up with it all year. Like, this is, this is, this is my passion. Yeah. Yes. You know? And there's, uh, there are other things out there. I mean, <laughs> we're not advocating that um, everybody should should hunt. I mean, that's that's the thing that gives us passion and, and purpose mm-hmm. or that we have passion for rather. And I mean, it's it's exciting to see anybody, you know, passionate about or fulfilling purpose in any area of life. For, for us, it's, it's hunting. And it's like when you do find that thing, man, it's it's so uh, I don't know, like in a romantic sense it's like man this is like this is it for me like this is mm-hmm. the thing that i love to do and I'm like mm-hmm. there's no mistaking the feeling that you get from you know like i said for, for us i think it's 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 bow hunting and, and maybe a specific niche even within that thing but um 
it's the, I, the saddest thing in the world to me is people that don't have a thing like mm-hmm. that. They you can ha- drive. You can drive down the street, and you can almost pick out the people that are passionate about something and the people sure. that aren't. Yeah, you can look at them and see it. Yeah, well, I think their work ethic and just like their lifestyle reflects it. Yeah, I mean, dude, like when when people see me and, and maybe they say, "Oh man, that guy works out" or or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever it is that's like tips them off to the fact that I, dude, it's at the gym. Literally, I walk up to people and I say, "You bow hunt, don't you?" I mean, it's and they do almost like ninety five percent of the can time. Tell. Yeah, because it's like, man, this, this guy's getting after it, or, or he's mm-hmm. taking care of his body, or like mm-hmm. I can I can well, even just some, whatever the way I see working on his phone and stuff. Like, there's you can just pick up on things that people do that are, you know, they're putting in time to improve themselves at their sport or to, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. yeah. Well, fitness, music, like there, there's all kinds of things that they can commit their, their kind of their lives to as like, that is my, my true passion. Um, and again, there are also people that I call more of the generalist that, you know, maybe they hunt a little bit, maybe they fish a little bit. <laughs> the generalist. Yeah. Like they're just not, like when people ask me, like, don't get me wrong, like I will turn well, I will turkey hunt this spring. But if you ask me what type of hunter I am, I'm a deer hunter. Well, so period. Here, here's like, a, that's here's just a what I am. borderline, you know, controversial statement. It, it, I think that uh, and not from us. There's nothing wrong with this. I don't, and I'm not. This, this is a very general statement. I don't think that women are typically geared the same way. Like they're not as driven on a specific thing most women that i have met are more and my wife is a great example so my mama like most most women that i have relationship with are generalists are more about like relationships with people and more about um yeah just just spending time with people and as opposed to a specific mission like it's great that we get to meet people while we're deer hunting but i'm out there to kill the biggest beast in the woods yeah break that break that down biologically like just through time in general Yeah. We are, you know, the males were the, you know, the hunters and get, you know, that went out in the right. woods and, and the females were the, they were, they, they were really good at the home stuff and building, making, building community. Yeah. So, I, yes. Communication. Yeah. That's, the, that's what they were just really good at. And it's just kind of still like that in today's world. I think what you find, um, and maybe there definitely is a line there. I think that you find if a, if a female is independent, like just operates independent, my wife is one and she loves the hunt, but she's, she's a runner. Like she is ate up with it. She runs yeah. 70, 80 miles a week for all she's running. And, and Emily's more driven, I think, than she's very independent and, and loosely is, using the word driven. I mean, a lot of women are driven. Yeah. Well, she's very independent though. Yeah. And so, and, and I look at, um, so like Allie, Allie DeAndrea, very independent person. Yep. I think she's very driven in the hunting side. So I think that Part of it is um, just the personality side of it. For sure. Because there's, there's plenty of guys that I would say aren't driven at all. 100%. In fact, you know, think about it, and, and I'm not saying they weren't driven, but go back to the, the 40s and 50s where they came home from work, they sat on the couch, and they expected the wife to have their food made and have dinner on the table and have the kids taken care of. Like, yeah. I'm not saying they weren't driven, but that was, you know, they just weren't doing that. They weren't taking that side that was... The, the wife's job. So, you know, I think that where we're at now and what's so weird about it is like, you just have so many different personality types out there, regardless of male, female. Um, again, I would say your female athletes are probably the ones who are independent and who are driven. No knock to those who, who didn't become an athlete, but that's just how they're wired, I guess. 
for mm-hmm. sure. You know, same with fitness. Like, look at some of the girls in the gym. There are certain females in the gym who are just there because yeah. they feel like they have to be there. Yeah. There's other females in the gym who are freaking getting after it yeah. because they want to. Inter- interestingly be the best. enough, I see. I mean, I would say that I I've got a fair amount of experience in, in both, like the the hunting world and also the gym world. Gym scouting. Okay. I I see a lot mm-hmm. more women dedicated to fitness fitness Absolutely. than I do bow hunting. Hundred percent. That's a self-image thing, I think, too. They they want to feel good about themselves. Yeah, and there's definitely an overlap there. There's a lot of mm-hmm. women that bow hunt and are mm-hmm. into fitness. Well, frankly, us as guys, like when you start hitting my age, we're just like, screw it. <laughs> like, yeah. who do I got to impress? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? But it, it is, you know, it, it all comes back to like, so let's say hunting in the big woods. What you and I did on Thursday of just like walking seven plus miles, cutting through clear cuts, reading sign, like, if I'm not in good physical shape, I can't do that. I, or I feel like garbage well, when I'm done with it. I, I'm curious if you guys feel, uh, Jake, I don't know, call it a fitness regimen or what you guys can make fun of me, but like uh, 90% of the year, like uh, uh, outside of deer season, it's like, man, I, I really prioritize getting to the gym and, and physical fitness. And honestly, in the past couple of years, so I'm 29, so for 25 and, and on, I've started to realize uh, you know, a lot, the, the mental benefit of, of exercise and stuff, just as much as, as the physical, I started getting, you know, I like to look good and I want to be strong and, you know, what, for whatever reason, more recently, dude, it's like, I, I can't deny, I mean, not only the benefit that it gives me, but, but the, the negative impact that not getting that time in the gym has on me. And frankly, come deer season, it kind of feels like the whole world burning down around me. And I'm just like, well, I, you know, because I can't spend that time in the gym. I'm doing the thing that I love. This mm-hmm. is what I train for. So it's kind of weird. Like, I, I, you know, throughout deer season, especially getting into mid end of November, I'm fighting off demons having not been in the gym here for a couple of weeks, but I know I'm like, you know, I'm on this mission. This is, this is my thing. I have the, the same connectability fact. I mean, like I, I used to work out. I love the gym. I love, I'm the same way. I love to get after it. But whenever I leave for, uh, you know, the West to hunt elk every year in the yeah. beginning of September, take the whole month. And then by the time I get back, I gotta, it's October. And I have like, I'm, I'm out now out of the gym for two months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then like, now I gotta get, get back into it. It's, it's, we- it's a weird transition again. It's, yeah. You want to do it every day, but then when it comes down to it, it's like, man, I need to scout some more or do, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, dude, you're a different person. L- like, literally, I, I'm a different person by the en- mentally by the end of November. It's just your priority. No, it's it's the benefit of physical activity. Yeah. It's literally like, I think it, it me, dude, me, we can go back and look, look at the podcast. I'd be curious to see, like, just my, my attitude, my confidence, my stuff. When I'm in, like, right before I left for that elk hunt, I'm like, peak physical condition i'm mm-hmm. like you know uh, you know when your priority gym, cardio, was to, sauna. to get in shape for that i mean dude i'm and honestly i don't think i don't think that most people you know bow hunters might be an exception i think a lot of us prioritize or we're, we're striving for that or athletes same way generally speaking though i don't think that most people know what it feels like to feel good mm-hmm. um because by by the end of November, I start feeling that I start feeling like oh, just you're like a, you're like a worn uh, buck. <laughs> oh, I'm just tired. Oh, I'm I just don't feel great. I'm not motivated. Contract. 
Go ahead. That's the thing that like, just as an athlete, you know, when I had a nutrition program and mm -hmm. uh, schedule and getting that early morning workout, you're, 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 it's surprising on how much your body, you can feel that, oh, I'm, my body is ready to get up for today. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, it's, I got a good night's sleep. I only got six hours, but it was very rest. It was good. Rest yeah. Yes. Yeah. And well, and you that's feel you just feel at the peak. And that's where you're like your body I think, awesome. from a that's, nutrition level. Like, I mean, think about how you eat at home. Like I know for a fact, and even though it's fun, like when we come, when we end the Kansas trip here in mid November, after eating three days of Sonic and other things, I feel like a piece of shit. Yeah. Like I'm just, yeah. my body's just a way off kilter, yeah. you know, and it takes a week or two to get that back yeah. on versus like, if I'm in my home territory, like I know what meals I'm eating. Right. I, my routine's very much the same. Like your body has trained and, and is ready to feel good. But when you throw it, yeah. you know, a curveball. Yeah. And, and it's okay. I mean, I've, I've come to embrace it. I'm going to, you know, deer hunting is a priority for me for these a month and a half out of the year. But it's, you know, it sucks knowing that it's like, hey, that's coming. Mm -hmm. But it is what it is. That's the sacrifice that you make as somebody who values fitness and, and mental soundness, you know, the to difference. kill a big buck. <laughs> The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Hoyt Archery. Dude, where would we be without our Hoyt bows? Probably shooting crossbows. Or, or a Matthews, <laughs> yeah. One and the same. Yeah. But in all seriousness, we love being Hoyt guys because you stand out. When you're in this room full of other people that shoot these other types of bows, I feel like the Hoyt guys just stick out. Uh, dude, it's just a legit bow. I mean, th th especially that carbon riser, man. I mean, I, I know that they've got several other aluminum lines as well. But for, for me, I'm shooting that RX-5 uh, in the carbon model. They've since come out with the RX-7. And uh, I can't tell you how much I love being a Hoyt guy amongst a C4 of Matthews guys. So we're out there, I think, pr proving them wrong, shooting 80 pounds and uh, you know, killing stuff. Hey, man, if you want to get serious, get Hoyt. The difference, I think, with your position and my, like where you're at, where you live and the style you hunt with your agriculture and I hunt big woods, I personally put on five to eight miles a day, no matter what I'm doing. Mm. So it's that physical activity. I get that feeling. Yeah. Because when I'm, I, I'll bow hunt all, you know, like yesterday I went in the woods all day long, but I put in so many miles that I was like, even though I could go to the gym, I don't have to because I got that. that Yeah, you felt like you version. hit your, yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got that in the big woods too. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and you're right. Yeah. And you're right. The the agricultural setting doesn't really offer that. I mean, it's it's a lot more clean in, clean Ride out. the truck to the yeah. spot, walk in there 250 yards and, mm -hmm. and hunt, you know, the spot. It's just, it's and not that physical of an activity. Your guys' strategy is different too. Like, Mm -hmm. You know that it may be a deer's in a certain block of timber, but you can't go in there and walk all over the place and bump them because then he might bump two miles to the next farm. Exactly. Yeah. Where in our big wood setting, you might have bumped that big buck that you said, mm -hmm. but he's not going to go very, he's going to maybe go to the next ridge over. Well, and that was what was hard for Jared and I when we got up there because, you know, we're, our mindset is like, and I kind of am in the in-between. I've got some big woods and some ag, but like I'm trying to tiptoe around some areas because I don't want to bump. And meanwhile, you know, Steve and those guys who are used to the big woods, they're just blazing right through it because they're like, well, if I bump him, he's just going to loop I, right through here. I will say, dude, I have gotten a lot more comfortable uh, 
running around like, like just this getting time in of year. stuff there, there was a couple of years there like Sperry, the, my whole progression of mindset on bow hunting like a, a home farm but i was real into midwest whitetail and you know and bill Winky's strategy was always super conservative hunt you know hunt the fringes, hunt the fringes yeah and i was i was like dude you can't even look at that mm-hmm. bedding area or, or he's gone you know we'll never see him that that mindset is okay the reason they were so good at that is because okay they were hunting a specific deer in a specific bedding location if they did bump them it now might not be on their property to hunt right because it was so fragmented to get them yeah the loop yep so that's where my experience i can i'll bump deer all the time and they'll just do a big circle because they know you're getting they're getting hunted like when it comes deer season i don't think there's any hardly any place in the country that the deer don't know that Mm -hmm. something's on the activity the pressure goes up alan alan yeah exactly well and and to the point of that buck and i'll i need to write steve and see if he checked the camera so i kind of work this clear cut for several miles finally found some fresh buck sign found a work scrape steve had a camera there i checked it and i mean there was high 150s 10 point on that scrape at like 655 the night before and so i figured he was close but i kind of thought i knew where he was betting that said like the clear cut map sucked but so i worked my way out and i got to this fresh clear cut that i didn't think was actually a clear cut and he was bedded in that now where I bumped him, my guess was if I had enough time and I didn't to do it all, he went right back up and was probably in the hitting around that scrape that evening. I probably could have killed him on that scrape, but I didn't have enough time to circle the whole way back around to get in there. So, you know, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see if Steve gets him on that scrape when he checks the camera next. But my guess was knowing where I bumped him, how the wind was and how he would work and through like a four-year-old clear cut that deer was around that scrape that evening and probably would have got killed. Yeah. yeah. That's, and that's where the big wood setting, like Steve, I've talked to him before and our, our notes are pretty similar to you can bump a deer like that. That's their home. Like, which is insane to know. me, man, because like, it, so, like that, so that's nothing. the hard part is, you know, and the, it comes down to 90% of the deer in those big wood settings are in 10% of the habitat. Yeah. Crazy. Isn't that, because, I mean, so, that's what Jared and I, well, Jared walked seven plus miles and basically was like, yeah, there's no sign. Well, so in total contrast, like this, you know, my home farm, this, this ag farm I'm talking about, 100% of the deer are in 100% of the habitat. Like it's, yeah. a, you know, a lot of it is useless pasture acreage and, you know, stuff in between. You get into a, any woods or any kind of habitat, there's deer in There's there. deer there. Yep. Yeah. And up there, you walk seven miles and you didn't see like a fresh buck rub. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'll say... But my biggest issue at this point with that super conservative strategy, while it may be the most effective way to to kill, you know, a specific buck using an area, you never learn anything that way. Um, you know, you have to just like anything, you have to make mistakes mm-hmm. and go in and see sign like a camera can only tell you so much. And maybe sometimes it is enough to, to kill the deer. But, man, you just you, you never get to intimately know a piece of property so that a year, a year from now, two years from now, when that next shooter shows up and, you know, you have that information to say, oh, I was in there two years mm-hmm. ago. I know how he's using that ridge. That's how you and get better at hunting a piece. That's And that's exactly right. I mean, the big woods setting, I mean, people don't – they underestimate the in-season scouting portion as much as the off-season. Oh, dude, the yeah. season tells you a lot, but 
that food source can be completely different the next year. So that all that work, you might as well throw out because the food is not there that it was the year prior. So we were talking about that kind of in the prelude, you know, at least where we were and even around like I've got some big woods I hunt in Kentucky. There is no acorns anywhere, like void of acorns. Um, and so Steve was saying that um, one of his buddies has some mature buck collared for a research project up in New York. And he's looking at at least the week that we were hunting with them, like a hundred yard daylight movement from those mature bucks. Like they're literally bedded in clear cuts, browsing in that clear cut. There's no reason for them to go and seek oak flats for acorns because there is no acorns. Yeah. And that's, and that's comes to a point that with what I do is I take those months of July, August into September. And that's where I put the most boots on the ground. It's like the worst time to do it because it's extremely hot. So what are you but looking for at that time, Jake? I I carry my binoculars and I look in canopies of trees. Interesting. Or acorn crop. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yet there's oaks doesn't mean it's acorn producing. Right. They go through these cycles and that's whether or not, that's where you can keep up with your, your local um, forestry division and coordinate because they have to go out and do do mapping studies as well because if there's not acorn producing in white oaks after six years they are now to the point of the they have disease and they're not showing it and they're going to die within the next four years so they need now need timbered and that's so they why there's a lot it. of interesting that's why there's a lot of small select cuts in that allegheny national forest yeah because they needed timbered because they are not going to produce from here on out. Interesting. Okay. That makes sense. Cause like that, well, that clear cut that that buck was in was probably, it wasn't a clear cut. It was a hard select cut probably the year before I would say. And so there's a lot of hickories and a few maples standing, but all of the oaks were gone in that 30 acres. Like all They're, of them were out. They were non-producing oaks. They are going to die. So that, you know, that's a national forest where it's mm -hmm. made for timber yep, and, and money-making where it's good for the whitetail habitat and, you know, habitat in general, but they are looking after the timber value, of the, sure. the timber value. So, so it, when the, is that different than what you would see from a state, like a game commission, like game lands or a uh, state yeah. forest side? Yes. So state forest national forest and then game land specifically is managed for game mm -hmm. where the habitat is you know managed for the animals in general whether it be songbirds they do it yep. for the grouse whatever thing. Mm -hmm. where state forests um are managed for the timber specifically yet it has a beneficial you know relation to the game that now inhibits that area right so it's keeping on top of your, knowing your trees, knowing your species, knowing, yep. keeping up with that is what gives you the edge on future. It gives me edges on two, three years down the road, you know, on what's going to happen. You know, I know an area that just got cut last year is going to be great in three years. Yeah. Because it's going to have that three year growth cycle. It's on a Northwest facing slope or a south facing slope i just know when to go look for you know walk that area interesting the potential hunting area to put more time in to maybe find a big deer one thing steve was saying um and maybe it's just because of podcasts like this or you know what steve has been doing in a lot of stuff too is um 
you know, he seem he feels like a lot of these clear cuts are just getting an overwhelming amount of pressure compared to what they used to do. Like, I don't know, maybe it's just all the talk about clear cuts and stuff. You start to get them as a magnet. Uh, is that stuff that you're seeing in your kind of personal hunting experience too? Yeah. Um, so where I'm at, they, I mean, Shannon Forrest has cut religiously the past 10 years and yep. it's just nonstop clear cut after clear cut after clear cut. So you do get gangs of guys that are focusing more on the clear cuts now because they've either had success. There's more knowledge about that mm-hmm. right now, you know, internet podcasts, yep. stuff, the, the, Damn you know, podcasts. the kitties out of the, the kitties out of the bank, so to speak. Yeah. So it's, it wasn't that guys didn't know that. It's just now that people are starting to be like, you know what, I'm going to try it. And try now it. they have success and they're telling their buddies, telling somebody else. So I, I see where he's talking about because it's just, it's not a hidden secret. Mm-hmm. The old timers know about it, but. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's not like a mystery either. It's like fish, a fishing hole. Like that's where the fish are. Well, at. I think, I think the, <laughs> the mystery around it, it doesn't matter what, you know, app you're using HuntStand, onyx spark forge whatever right most of those maps are not up to date in terms of those cuts right. so like that yeah. was one thing that we found is like we're going through these areas in in relation to like even that buck i bumped and i'm like okay this looks like a recent clear cut based on the wind and where he came from i think he's bedded here i'm going to go to the north to get out of here well, i go to the north and what should have been mature timber was a one-year-old hard select cut and it was like what the hell you know, so yeah. until you get boots on the ground, I, I, I assume, <laughs> I don't know if you want to, you think that, uh, you think the national forest or anybody puts out like a ledger of where they're clear cutting? Yeah, they, they, they have to actually. Okay. Um, they're, we, they're, we can well, maybe leave it at that. <laughs> it's, it's, hard, it's, it's really hard to find that. So the Is state, it? the state doesn't put out like super easy. Mm-hmm. on how to find that where you they're can usually super good so, at communicating so like let's just say for my for for where i'm at Shannon forest yeah you go into there is a 400 page document that's a proposed document for this year that where they're going to be spending their money and their time and their resources for this year mm-hmm. so you break it down it, it it's a big long official document because that's what they do for their budget in the beginning of the year right so basically now you go through like the month of July, they're doing a culvert, you know, in this, this roadway, you know, you, you can already pre have pre knowledge of that. So I, there's an area that I have right now that they have, that's doing road work. There's one access road to get into this eight miles of timber that I had cameras out there. They're still there right now that there's no hunting pressure because you have to go way out you have to go way out around or walk yeah so that in turn like you get back into those places and now you have nobody around yeah you're gonna find some deer that's i mean and having that knowledge where you trying you wouldn't know that until you know they just started doing the culvert and ended september through Mm -hmm. now Mm-hmm. The guys are like, oh, that's my hunting place. I can't get there. And now they got to go somewhere else. They're a little bit behind the eight ball. And yet you were anticipating and kind of knew it was going to happen at some point. Yes. Those small intangibles is just kind of where I keep ahead of the loop. The learning curve is just like, okay, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. If I want to potentially hunt that area come late, see, you know, maybe I don't harvest something. I want to keep an eye on it for rifle season. I got cameras back there that if I go through the whole archery season, don't 
be successful. I can go check them in between that, uh, you know, archery goes out to gun season. Okay, there's a good deer that's been using this transition every other day. I'm obviously going to go in there and try and kill them, mm-hmm. you know, in gun season. Yeah. So that's just where I keep um, my my stuff, you know, the most. And so are you, you know, so let's take a, a year like this year where it seems like the acorn crop is is limited. Are you referencing notes from years past where you had similar situations to see what deer behavior and signs and movement was? Yes. So that's, that's where the trends come in. And Steve and I, we, we spent uh, one of the evenings in camp talking about these annual trends. Like instead of like really trying to keep almost most recent information on these deer, you know, you're utilizing annual trends to at least narrow down the ballpark. And then from there, now try to pinpoint what you want to do. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's where I keep notes of just people pressure because there's so many seasons here that just in our state of Pennsylvania and yep. it's, it's the same no matter where you're at. Yep. I keep track of, okay, there was a, now that we have early muzzleloader bear season, there was 20 guys in this area where the year before there was nobody. Right. Okay. So that put pressure on deer. Don't those bucks do not understand that it's October the 20th, not November the 10th Yep. season. Came. So they're now like survivability mode run to my safe haven. Mm-hmm. If you know where that safe haven and that sanctuary is at, so to speak, that where they run to get away. Now you kind of have, and that's where I keep my notes on, okay, this area gets pushed a lot. The bucks usually go down this drainage and stay in this laurel thicket for safety. Mm -hmm. I'll just keep a camera in there and you might not get any activity on it. And like not even deer for weeks. And then all of a sudden there they are. Boom. Yeah. And it's because it's not because that's where they want to be. It's that's where they have to be to, to, to survive. And I think people, um, you know, and it's probably with the the advent of, of cell cameras, but I think people have slowly pulled away from that annual trend-based data where, man, it's so critical. Like even in the 28 acres behind my house, I have game lands, forest lands, uh, like a, a private forest company. And then my property is like the, the top of the V basically, um, or bottom of the V, I guess. And like, like clockwork, I'll watch like a one-year-old six-point for two months in September and October. And then it was, uh, last Friday driving. It was last Friday. We were coming back Saturday, Friday night, boom, three bucks, two, four-year-olds and a five-year-old pop out of nowhere and start making scrapes. And they've been there ever since. And it's like, all of a sudden I go back to last year within a day or two, same thing the year before within a day or two, the same thing. I mean, it's those trends. I don't know which deer maybe it's going to be necessarily, but I mean, it's, Listen, Dude, they've got routines just like we do. That deer, the deer that we talked about in the the intro there, that Labrowski buck, mm-hmm. it's been interesting to see. Like for the past three years, he summer he summers like I don't know a half mile to a mile away, mm-hmm. and without fail, once a year in broad daylight, like early evening, he'll show up on this food plot that I've got, and then I'll never see him there again. And this year was the first time that I've been able to have that camera at that other spot two miles away. And you got him. And there he was. And that's and that explains why you only saw him once on there because now he's two miles away. Yeah, and it's it's a hard pattern to hunt because, like, last year it was um, October 11th. Mm-hmm. And this year it was October 21st, neither of which were, <clears throat> you know, like cold noticeably front good yeah. cold front days. Just, you know. Just what it was. It was just weird. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
that that happens in the big woods too but it's the it's harder because your ag allows you to put more eyes you can cover 50 acres with your eyes at one swath with glass where i have to walk that 50 acres to get any idea yeah that sucks i I, uh that's what i love so much about mule deer hunting is it's like kind of takes the blanket off like you can see so far out there and it's like oh you know all this guesswork i've been doing with like well you, you know things that we use to make up for literally seeing the deer do the thing topo maps cameras xyz like all you know all this thing mule deer hunting or even whitetail you know more western setting it's like get on a high point and watch them yeah and you can yep. see them see them do it all yeah well and I, I think what you know and again man if you can take all the things you learn in these different settings from big woods to ag to west like in the western side to me it's learning how to move and learning how to move with the wind like and use western and, hunting yeah western hunting and really use topography to your advantage to make that stock mm-hmm. And like that skill obviously isn't super applicable. Like if I come to the big woods, but being able to move with the wind either while I'm scouting and or while I'm getting to and from a stand is very important. And so having that experience in the West, you know, you have to adapt it a little bit, but man, is it relevant when you start to try to think of what your current hunting situation is. You're like, oh, you know, if I can use this ridge or this knob to my advantage to move around before I come up over with the wind in my face to the stand, then that's what you do, you know, and you applied that same thing out West to make a stock on a muley or something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, I, and that's where I I hunt out West a lot too. And it's the same thing. I use things that I know back here work and things that work out there. I use here. I mean, it's, it's very interchangeable. It makes you just a better hunter in general. Yep. I think like the evolved uh, version of that thought process is not just, um, wind in my face, you know, Mm -hmm. wind in my favor, but we, we kind of covered this with Andre. Mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago about like um really moving with an understanding of uh, uh how a mature buck is going to use those wind patterns and, yep. and terrain not just hey i can come up over this and the wind will be in my favor and i can see this mm-hmm. but doing so with the knowledge that a mature buck would have done this mm-hmm. with this wind in his favor and, and not just from a scouting standpoint hey i can access it this way to do this but but when you hunt i mean you know, that evolves into a, Hey, I'm going to hunt downwind of this, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's a a big thing. And Steve, um, he does it a lot too, which I enjoy is when there's snow on the ground, man, if you just go and backtrack or follow a buck track, yeah, you can learn so much on why and why they maneuver the way they do through the woods. Yeah. It just, and then that knowledge you can take and, okay, maybe it's the same wind, same everything. He's most likely going to use the same pattern. And when you start just, that's where the years of data just starts piling in and giving you that little bit of expertise knowledge. For me, dude, on that ag piece I'm talking about, it was ditches. It was, uh, you know, one of them deals where it was like, everybody knows you can't hunt ditches because the wind swirls. <laughs> you know, that was like, everybody knew that. But it, and it took me a few years to, you know, sightings from ridges where I could see ditches and stuff and, and camera placements. It's like, oh, you know, the mature bucks, they know that too. And they're only moving in the ditches. You know, that's, yeah. that's, you know, and so now, okay, I can look at this map totally differently where before I, I would write off all these ditches and say they're not huntable and say, okay, 
here's where all the mature bucks are going to move, how they're going to get from one area to the next. And I've had to like, you know, it's totally changed the way that we approach the property. doesn't change the fact that the wind does swirl in ditches, but you, you learn to look for, you know, intersections of ditches where your wind can blow one way and, or hogbacks that kind of jet up and out of them that can be hunted with a safe wind. And, um, it totally Ground changes hunt. the way you do it. Ground hunting too. I mean, changes the way, you know, hunting those ditches and ground hunting a specific location. Like you're just at, at some point in time, like if the wind isn't going to work, you kind of, ha- there's a point in the, in the hunting year, you're going to be like, I got to try it. I'm going tomorrow, it's, going tomorrow morning. That's I, what I'm it, doing. I, yeah. I don't care. It's going to be a bad wind. I got to take the chance because it's just getting to that point where it's, you're not, if you're just letting them free roam through yeah. there without any pressure, they're going to continue to do that, but you yes. got it. Well, and it's every, yeah. it's every bow hunter's worst nightmare. Like here we are, yeah. October, Looks whatever. Up, 20, smells, yeah. Yeah. 26. <laughs> and, yeah. And the last thing you want to do is say, all right, it's October 26. Like how everybody is asking themselves right now, how aggressive should I get on whatever buck they're hunting? That, that is the number one question on October 26 is curious to see how we feel about this in this current moment, because I'm, I'm going after this guy tomorrow. Well, and, and I wouldn't typically say, hey, 26th is like the day, yep. but looking at the weather for the next 10 days. And I would assume you're also fearing, again, in an ag landscape, crops are going to start coming off. Like yep. things are going to dramatically change well, in the next two weeks. See, this is what I love about like, you know, you're talking about ledgers, these little edges that you get. When we, you know, we talk about hunting, a lot of people envision walking to the woods, sitting in a tree stand. For us, it's like, it's every detail. It's it's me knowing that hey, it just rained. Farmers not gonna be able to get these crops off. I, it bought me some time. Yeah, you know every little thing that I can say. Okay, I'm, that situation is gonna present itself, and and you have to be. That's where a flexible schedule, uh, I think, pays off. Mm-hmm. How many times do you hear the story that you know um, there the neighbor in broad daylight? The, the neighbor kid went out for the first time this year and yeah, ended up absolutely, yeah, a, discour- <laughs> a discouraging and, amount of times, and, but. <laughs> And, but you look at the pictures that you see on the internet and they're like, that guy had no idea. Like he no just idea. Right, right through the middle of the woods. No, yeah. It yeah. basically, he surprised that deer yep. and was in the right place at the right time. And yeah, it was almost, that. was almost dumb aggressive, but that's yeah. what sometimes it takes. And I, I really believe, and we talked about this all the time with cell cameras, especially is that we mostly are hunting too conservatively to be effective on these deer. Like we're waiting for the most recent information from a cell cam. By the time we get it, too late. It's too late. Yeah. Even if it is yeah. a cell camera and says, boom, right now there's a buck coming past there. It is too late. You are a step behind that it, deer. It does help that year to year stuff though. Well, but see, that's where I think a lot of people are forgetting about the year to year stuff because they're like, well, I have cell cameras. I know exactly what's happening at any moment of the day on my phone. What's hard to know is if you we know what we know and, and we don't what we don't basically like and if you went in and hunted some of these spots that you know maybe we've got pictures of bucks mm-hmm. in daylight we don't know that they would have done it mm-hmm. like you know we might have messed it up by by being in there well yeah but what's crazy is like that that's the mental battle that you're always if i go back to again annual ledgers type of thing if i go back to the last let's say three or four bucks that i've killed on both public and private i would assume that most of those bucks were not patterned on camera before I killed them. Like I maybe knew they were in the area, but it wasn't like I was like, okay, he was there last night. I go in the next morning, I kill him. Like very rarely does that happen. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's just 
based on the places that I hunt. But I mean, uh, two years ago, 157 in Kansas, had no idea that deer was even using that area. We had them a mile and a half away on camera and there, and I shoot them at five yards under my tree stand. Like those are the things that if I only hunted by camera and I've admitted on this podcast before that I'm guilty of, of overconfidence in my cameras, um, I would have never killed that deer cause I would have never shown up there. I would have, I wouldn't have hunted it because he wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've done the same thing and that's where I am going back on my, myself. Cause I personally run 80 trail cameras. I'm, I'm with you, brother. <laughs> yeah. I get so in, into this, like, Oh, I didn't get him in daylight, but yeah. yet I get him at night. I'm like, he's here. Yeah. yeah. He could be 10 yards away messing around for two hours and then finally walks in front of the camera. And, like, and I truly believe and I mean, don't get me wrong. I love trail cameras. I love cell cameras. My cell cameras are my worst enemy in hunting because if I get him or not get him, I, it begins to talk myself out of what I know I should do. Yes. Well, it, it's in, it's information though. Like, I mean, it does, that's where, that's where I think knowledge of what makes a deer move is so valuable. Cause mm-hmm. if, if you, perfect example, if you have them at night, you can almost predict like, Hey, okay. You can internalize that piece of information and say, like you said, he's he's here. Okay, mm-hmm. now I have the confidence at least to hunt my spots based on he's in the area. weather fronts or, or whatever. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, today, today's a great example. Like, if if we know there's a buck in an area, which we all probably have one in our, in our back of our brain, tomorrow, as this front moves out tonight, even tonight in some cases, but especially tomorrow, it's about as damn good of a chance you're going to catch Dude, him my, in daylight. My as confidence is is ramped. I mean, this these next two days, like we're we're going to kill somebody's going to kill one. You know, you just got to you got to be in the spots. And is that based on recent information? Is it based on historical? No, it's based on knowledge of spots. Frankly, most recent information would hurt that theory. I say I haven't I really agree. seen a buck in that spot recently. I would agree. And that's and that's exactly right. I mean. The other thing, too, is you have confidence. If you're not confident going into a place hunting you're probably not going to see anything yeah if you have confidence you're just going to be on edge a little bit more yeah it's going to have yep. it's like this weird spiritual feeling that yeah you know, man. and now it's going to happen your senses are a little heightened at the time like you're you're listening you're watching movement and stuff it, it is funny because um and this is again no knock to those guys but like the guys who like just have a couple cameras out and like if they get a pig a picture of a big buck they're you know they truly believe they're going to kill that big buck if they get a picture of them on a camera where Guys like us who I o- did for years who overanalyze things, we're just like, okay, well, that, that was for years that too. was two a.m. <laughs> you know, he probably came from here. Oh, I got him on another camera at six a.m. leaving the property. Like we overanalyze it so much that we absolutely are putting ourselves in a worth worse off position. No doubt in my mind. Well, and you under, you know, you under, uh, you don't hunt enough. No, you know, there there is definitely an element to to time in the woods. Mm-hmm. You can certainly overhunt an area, but like, dude, you gotta. I, I hate the. I hate the you can't kill him from the couch phrase more than anything because I just I think that is why a lot of deer are my get old. The phrase that I <laughs> but, the phrase that I stick by and I think you do too is you can't kill him if he's not there. Sure. That that's sure. the one that that remains true. Well, that's in and the, out. that's the baseline. But at some point you do have to get in and hunt him. It's mm-hmm. it's just seizing the opportunities because man a season can slip by pretty quick. You know, we're like, there right now. It's it is the twenty sixth of October. I mean the next. 14 to 20 days is I'm it? not I'm the, yeah. I mean it it is it's sad to say but like everything we work for all year the next 14 to 20 days you better make it happen or you know what 
it's a diminishing return after that. It is going to get super hard after that. Yes. And especially, and that's where we in Pennsylvania understand that. Yeah. Midwestern listeners or who, you know, they don't, they don't get that feeling because they have different hunting approaches. You know, Ohio, you can bait. Mm -hmm. And you can hunt. You can you can continue to hunt through February seventh. Yeah, but that's what I mean. And then like Iowa and stuff, you see all these big ones killed late season on a food source. On food sources, our late our late season food sources are like what food? Yeah, like (laughs) yeah, yeah, they're they're gone. They ate them. They're in clear cuts. It's it's just yeah, and they ate rabbits. Well, and you're not hunting a deer that's a rabbit. And what's so funny, and and guys, even if you're in Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, like you'll understand this is. For the longest time growing up, even as a bow hunter, like I believed my best chance to kill a big buck was the opening day rifle. Like it was ingrained in my brain that opening day a rifle was my best chance to kill a big buck. And then slowly I, I learned, like, I'm like, wait a minute, like these, these next 14 to 20 days, end of October to the end of archery in September or in November. No, that's the time <laughs> that is the best chance to kill a big buck. Yeah. Uh, everything else in in rifle is probably more dumb Dude, they, luck than they anything. They freaking move, man. This these past couple of weeks, and even I mean, every year I, I learn a lot. You know, I'm just I'm tr- observing and trying to. I've had so much success. I think I texted you this the other day. I've had so much luck with with scrapes this year. Mm-hmm. I think I don't know what I've done in, in years past. If I I just didn't quite have you know. And see, I think this is where it differs because you, I used to stop running cameras in November because I'd be like, I'm. I don't get pictures of anything. Your your deer have ag available, and I think your scrapes are more active because they're able to still pack on those fat reserves. Mm-hmm. My deer that are on the fringe of big woods in Kentucky, even in Ohio, um, are not nearly as active on scrapes as I've seen in year past. Like mm-hmm. normally by now, my scrapes are wide open, cranking. I just saw them start hitting it two days ago, basically. Mm. This these past like ten days before. I would say two days ago, my scrapes were dead. Exactly. Like, like it, dead. Yeah. Like, like you, closed you, up. I, I see people posting midway, like, man, the scrapes yes. are on fire. And I'm like, I haven't, I have seven, eight trail cameras sitting on a scrape line that's just historical, that's absolutely tore up. I had not a deer walk in front. I, I actually had to go check three of them because I thought the Dude, cameras died. I am in the same boat. And what's so crazy about hmm. that? is again from a historical standpoint and i think again when it's acorns they're blown wide open they're getting crushed i i think it's just those deer are just holding so so tight because they know that they're about to cut it loose and they have to pack on as much nutrition as possible right now and frankly their main source their main fat reserve reserve source is not there um and so Hmm. you know there's probably a lot of people that are are likely hearing the same thing if you are seeing scrapes blown wide open i think it's probably because you have ag around you and so they're able to pack on some pounds yeah they Um, can they can do their that activity and still feed at the exact same time i told jared when we were at steve shirks um and it's no i say steve's but just because we're at camp but when we were in allegheny national forest i felt like i was hunting the lockdown phase of the rut like truly where you could sit all day and you may not see a deer or the only deer you see is at 1 p.m. Well, like it just felt It essentially is. Dude. They're just locked down on a food source that that's also it. is their bedding area. So, it's yeah, crazy. you don't see them. It's not. That's, that's exactly that's, what it felt like. That's how it is around my areas. We have, So I have acorns this year everywhere. Really? So that, that's the problem 
Also, last year I had no acorns. Yeah. This year I we, they're everywhere. So now mm. they're they're bedding where they're feeding. So yeah. if you do not have that home position locked yeah. down, you're not going to know where what's going on. Hmm. That's usually my struggle, Jake. Is this this farm that has all the ag? Also, like ninety percent of the trees are are oaks, um, and so we we don't this year we don't have anything. I haven't found any, but usually it's like I. I've never once found like an acorn pattern. It's just they're everywhere. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing a preference of use of of white oaks versus reds versus chestnuts up in your area? Um, White oaks early in September is the best time to pat. Like if you can find a good white oak crop, that is the best time to find out the bucks that are you're going to be able to chase. Gotcha. That is like the number one. They it's like a little candy treat to them. They Mm -hmm. love them. Whites are definitely preferred over the reds and the blacks. Mm-hmm. Chestnut oaks are in the white oak family, so they are preferred over the reds and the blacks. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I thought so too. So, well, are, are you sure about that? Uh, I, mean, I don't they, mean to put you on the spot, no, but no, I also thought that. I they said, are, hey, they are in the I know white they're oak in the white oak family. family. I thought they, they for that reason, were yeah. preferred. It was Bo Martonic. You know who Bo is? Yes. Bo told us the other day that they hate them. They don't like them. It's like a... They don't prefer them as much dog as, as white. Well, because it, it's, suppo- it's it's tannin levels, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I'm it comes you. down to. White oaks can have you, less tannin levels than acorn, a chestnut. Acorn tannin levels. Um, so in here, and again, I'm rusty on this. This is back in school. But I'm pretty sure that red oak acorns have higher fat content than white oaks. And they drop later, right? Like Those are like mid-November droppers. Uh, now. Yeah. I would say red oaks are dropping. Yeah. Okay. I've had pretty much everything. The blacks, the reds have, the, it's full bore. Yep. That's um, what I was finding when I finally found some in A&F. It was from red oaks. Okay. And I was finding some really good and fresh ones. And I've heard they have higher fat content. This is probably a whole different acorn. We need an acorn expert. <laughs> well, that's what Nick Google some uh, tan levels here. It says uh, 2.9 to 3.4%. On what? Uh tannin levels on acorns that's what it says no 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 we need a difference between acorn species chestnut versus chestnut oak versus white oak try that one um but yeah it is it is interesting i've i mean and that's comes down to areas and i've like like last year chestnuts were the only thing around i was gonna say that was the only thing i had and so deer were eating them obviously and they crushed them yeah it was the only acorn they had they were crushing, and that's and that's because <laughs> they love them. <laughs> it was it, it was interesting because that was behind my house. Is like I have a decent amount of reds and some whites, but chestnuts were the only thing producing acorns, and anywhere around those were was buckseye all over the place. Yes, and now if you have all four, like if you have whites, reds, yep. blacks, and chestnuts, I mean they're obviously going to eat the whites first. Yeah, like that's like the known factor. Mm-hmm. And then that just comes down to if you get a cold frost. Um, the reds and the blacks, they change their, they, they, they change. So if they get that frost level, they become a little bit sweeter hmm. the taste. And that's why I think the tannin levels change a little bit. And that's why they, you'll see them eating those reds and blacks <laughs> later into the season. Well, and I think that's the, that's the target species, like mid October to early November, like a lot of your whites are cleaned up by then. So it's just red and black. oaks. I, I've got a buddy at the gym and, uh, he is absolutely convinced that these deer in his backyard that he's getting pictures of are like they're eating all of his walnuts. <laughs> like he's convinced that does that's not true, right? I don't know. I mean, I've seen deer eat walnuts I've, before. He, I, 
Yeah. He's like, I've yeah, they them. they hammer these walnuts. I'm like, dude, I don't think deer eat walnuts. I mean, I've seen them eat walnuts before. I don't know if they prefer they'll, them. They'll eat beech nuts. Yeah, beech nuts is a big one. They'll crush. They don't prefer them because they're so hard. Yep, they'll crush the yeah. Osage orange fruits as well. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. do you ever see Osage orange on the ground and crush? Like, they'll yeah. often crush those, and they're they're high in water content. Hmm. Um, well, maybe I'm wrong, but I thought this. I was just laughing about. It. I didn't think the deer ate. Walnuts. I mean, I've seen them eat it. I don't know if that's a preferred thing at all. Because how do they get through the, the mega? Oh, they get through it. It's not that hard of a, like, the, the outer layer is fairly soft. Like, yeah. if you ever pick up a ripe yeah. one, and then, I don't know, to just gnaw on it. Hmm. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Stealth Cam. Dude, where would we be without our cell cams? I would definitely be divorced at this point. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. <laughs> I mean, the fact is, is I spent more time checking cameras than I actually did hunting prior to cell cameras. Now, at least, my wife can enjoy me being in the comfort of my own home, buried in my phone, checking those pictures. Yeah, 100%. And, dude, when it comes to uh, trail cameras and definitely cell cameras, reliability is, I think, the number one thing that we're looking for. Stealth Cam just has a long reputation of reliable cameras, and ultimately, that is the most important thing to us. They have to work. In terms of reliability, there's not a better camera on the market than Stealth Cam, whether you're talking about the Fusion X, the Reactor, or the DS4K Transmit. And most of them are under 200 bucks. Southcam.com. Check them out. So in my forest, it's literally oaks, browse. That's pretty much it. And then it turns into they eat fern in the winter. Um, they eat the fern root uh, for that that new growth nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, it basically looks like they're eating dirt. Yeah. People think like you walk through shed hunting. I mean, you'll if you go back on Steve's posts on him finding big sheds, yeah, you're gonna be laying in this big dirt pile where they were eating fern. Yeah. Um interesting. You know, it it's knowing your food sources is I think a really good for new hunters, if you learn food sources right off the very beginning, I think it's going to put you five years ahead of just putting boots on the ground. Yeah. See, it's, it's interesting in an, in an ag setting, uh, we've done a lot of, you know, timber work and, and we've done food plots and stuff. It's pretty amazing how far deer will travel to, to have an ag source, like in, in a hard winter, I've seen deer move several miles. Um, and it's, it's coupled typically with bedding. If, you know, if there's a good thermal bedding area nearby to an ag source, they will leave good, you know, browse to, to go to it. What's funny about that is how do they learn that? Uh, very interesting. That that's that is where I always come back to the the conclusion. Of, okay, like you're saying, they move three four miles, but how did they know to move that three? Dude, four I miles? think they know. I just think that they maybe have been there at one point in time. That's that's exactly what I'm it's, saying. So then, so, the, some sort of imprint that they well, do you think think about how intimately banked. we can imagine our farms, you know, or or wherever we've hunted, be able to live out there, like in the in the pitched, like for you know four or five years, ideally. Every day and every night. I think they, they know those woods and that terrain way more intimately than we could ever, ever know. Can I can I drop some uh, oak? Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, obviously, two main groups of oaks are white and reds that we're talking about here. White have chestnut oak, post oak, and obviously white oak. Reds have northern red, scarlet, and pin oak. Okay. Uh, white oaks, uh, acorns mature over one summer, drop the next fall, and then quickly germinate once on the ground. Red oaks mature partially over one summer, go dormant over the winter, and then may or may not resume the maturation process the next spring, making it a two-year cycle. 
uh, for fertilization. In terms of tannins, um, lower tannin levels in white oaks means that the acorns are more preferred by wildlife over red oaks. However, red oaks are often a source of higher fat content. Mm. So there you go. But no differentiation between white. It didn't say between white species. I mean, I'm sure there is. I was the general uh, forest resource one. And that's where I call it. I call it rock oak, which is basically young um, reds and blacks. Yep. They're basically, I think they're just more preferred because they're smaller. Yep. And I I Uh, think, I would assume if it's got a higher fat content, which that source said it did, I mean, that deer, here's the other thing. People don't, you know, they do think about, but they don't when it's just ag-based areas. A deer is a selective forager, right? So when, it, let's say it's working a clear cut, it's eating blackberry um, and, and you know, black raspberry and green briar. Like it is selecting, and then of those plants, it is selecting the most nutritious shoots of those plants possible for intake. The do same you, comes you know, with acorns. Do you know how they're detecting that? Is that like it's they try sen- they try one and then It's they- a sensory organi- a sensory yeah. system. And um, so essentially smell? they're- smell and i think on the taste they've side tried. They, they basically walked through and tried they everything tried. And, mm-hmm. this is what I, yeah. and their body's gonna tell them like this is high versus uh, you know a cattle cattle just mows doesn't doesn't care doesn't eat well, I feel like we kind of have that too it's hard to say like if you removed culture completely or, or knowledge of food i think you could try stuff and be like this is good for me or and this is not sure it says they like the sweeter stuff better mm-hmm well, that's why I like. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that interesting. Sense. Yeah, well, that's why I like. We, we talk about you. Well, Sweet, you, good. You found uh, an area of crab apples. I found an area of persimmons. Like those are mm-hmm. in a year, especially with no acorns. That those are gold mines right now. Yeah. Like guarantee that there's deer under. It's those weird. Things. I found this area with a giant corn pile. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> They're just flocking to it. Do you, do you, um, Jake? Do you find pawpaws up there very often, like pawpaw fruits and stuff? Not really. Um, I mean, there's a lot of plants I know in that when I was up at Penn State, like I would find areas where there were pawpaw plants, but I never, I never saw any fruits. And I was just like, maybe I'm an idiot. And I just am looking at the there, Now, if you get, if you come down off the mountains into the valleys, you'll find some variants because, yep. you know, that's where we have our variants of crab apples, yep. pears, you know, very few persimmons. Mm-hmm. There's a plant that I don't know the name of. It's like an American cucumber, hmm. um, American chestnuts. They mm-hmm. eat the, they eat all those variants, but up on the top of the mountain, it's pretty much cut and dry. Mm-hmm. Um, what, is what you named blackberries, green briars. Yep, not a lot of green briars. I didn't see any green briar up there. I saw a little bit in that fresh cut, mostly the black cut- raspberry and blackberry. Yes, the the cuts are, is where you're going to find most of your younger yep. uh, forage species. Like they're more, and and you people don't understand weed plants in the springtime. Oh, the forbs. Are very nutritious. Yeah, yeah, forbs huge. are very they're they're super nutritious and that's like sixty plus percent of their diet in the spring if they can. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it grows the fastest. It has the highest nutrition level, and they're going to crush it. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to in turn, you know, this year, like. Next year is going to be a really good antler growth year because of how much acorns there are around. They're going to go into the the fall, yep. and the winter, yep. the high fat storage content, which is going to give them mm-hmm. jump start into their next growing cycle next year. Absolutely, yeah. They're not going to have to put the resources to repairing the body as much. Now, where we were in A and F, 
it's going to be rough because this is the second consecutive year of like basically no acorns and living on browse. I think those deer are going to go into the winter in a bad shape. And if we have a hard winter, it's going to be a really rough outcome. You're going to see a lot of mature bucks with probably small antlers next year up there. I'll be curious to see, um, you know, our, our food plots didn't do great this year. I, and it's my fault. You know, I just lime and fertilizer. Probably, I kind of cheaped out on some stuff, but, um, we also don't have any acorns, like none. Um, we are, we're getting a piece of timber harvested mm-hmm. start, starting on Monday. Oh, really? And, uh, and they're leaving all the tops and everything like that. I'll be curious to see, you know, assuming a lot of the surrounding ag and stuff gets cut, if they kind of flock to that, those fresh, you know, those fresh cuts and stuff. If, if a oh, cut this you'll, time you'll have deer, if you hunt that late season, you'll have deer on top of you. Mm. all that new browse dropped to the ground basically yeah Yeah. they they will crush that it'll be gone the thing is you got to keep an eye on it they'll be able to like almost tell the other group hey great food source over here there's nothing else everybody's gonna crush it well and the forester is a buddy of mine in fact i hunt some of his other farms and he was like dude if i were you I'd just go in and follow them foresters around like the, you know, the day, couple days after they've moved through, just that's where I would be. Yep. Cause it's a, it's, it's like a you 300 acre piece. It's maybe a hundred acres of timber and they're just going to work around. it. Oh yeah. It'll be good. You know, what's funny about that is in this big wood setting, um, you talk to the foresters, they're like, yeah, we cut this section yesterday and there's 30 deer Dude, in it today. Well, yeah, I, that's crazy. I've observed this year and I guess it's probably like fairly common knowledge. All of the biggest and oldest bucks that I've got pictures or just knowledge that they're there right now. It's all in stuff that's been timbered in the past couple of years. Well, and I think that new stuff. So like the year after a cut, so let's say they cut this stuff this fall, this spring and summer, there'll be so much new green briar, black raspberry, Dude, t- blackberry coming up in the, it's in Forbes. Those deer will be loaded through that clear cut in, in the spring and summer and likely will be a good staging place early season next year. Well, so I've been sharing pictures with you, obviously that, that tile lake where mm-hmm. I have maybe five yeah. mature bucks timbered a couple of years ago. Yeah, well, we saw the tops laying in the cuts yep. in the aerials. Yeah. As opposed to, I, I maybe have 10 mature bucks total on the remaining. Well, you know, what's funny is, um, I've talked to a lot of guys. Uh, this is when I was in Eastern Kentucky doing work, but then also, uh, over towards state college and, guys who are hunting big timber pieces, like they weren't going in and spending money to, to bring in like a drum mulcher and clear out for a food plot. And this is on private land. Um, what they were doing is they're creating like quarter acre cuts. They were just going to a quarter acre and just cut everything. You know what else? Drop it all. Unicorn buck and that other split G2 buck. I, I probably have not left that cut that piece that got cut this year. Yeah. And I think, I think it's the amount of food we talked about it, um, up at, at camp. Uh, the one thing that I see a lot in, uh, this is research done at Mississippi State, they were using sweet gums, but I've seen the same result with tulip poplars, is tulip poplar sucks. Like it's, I mean, it's decent timber value in some cases for pallet wood and stuff, but from a wildlife standpoint, trash. You cut a tulip poplar though, and all of those resources in the roots send out like hundreds of sprouts what, out of that stuff. What stump. other trees do that? Cher- do cherries do that? Um, I don't know if cherries sprout as much. Maple, maples do. do. Yep. Maples sprout a lot. Sweet gum in the South is one that sprouts a lot. Maples are, maples are good. I think they are actually valuable wildlife trees because they're, they're one of the, at least where I'm at, it's hard to, um, hinge cut 
mm-hmm. you know, your, your hardwood trees. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a lot of softwood. So the maples that we do have, you know, I think you can hinge cut them and that they're, they're sprouting like that. The, the one thing with maples is most state or federal lands love them because they're fast growing. They're one of the fastest growing harvestable trees out there. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, and they're high, new, you know, deer will walk, the young maples, they'll go yep. to and eat all the young maple leaves. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's another one where you see, I think, variation, whether it's like, I'll see deer browse on red maple and sugar maple, but they won't <laughs> touch striped maple, which there's a ton of that up in the Allegheny National Forest. I've never... Maple's maple. Well, and I mean that's but <laughs> that's me. the that's what you kind of. We don't have a lot into. of them. So the, the tulip poplars. When I was showing Steve up there, is like so I had three or four tulip poplars on the top of this knob on, on my property. They're probably fifteen years old or so. So I don't know, you know, ten, twelve inch uh, diameter. Cut them like clear, clean off at the stump. That summer, and spring, they threw hundreds of shoots up, and you could go to any one of those, and every one of them were just browsed down. To the bottom. I mean, and it's because all of the minerals and all the nutrients that are juiced up in those in those root systems are thrown now into these offshoots that are at deer level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's been a major stress. I've talked to a bunch of guys who've done these quarter acre cuts, and they've got all these stumps coming up, and it's it's almost like a food plot. Do, do oaks not do that as well? I want to say. Over at Glasgow. I don't see oak sprout. Over at Glasgow, when we first got access last summer, I went in and you remember I got that big velvet. I think there was all that activity was around these giant, it had to have been oaks. There wasn't, there was a maple that was that big. And it had a tulip poplar. No, we don't have any of those. No, I mean, tulip poplars. Mm -mm. I mean, I don't, maybe, I I just don't see them. But not not, Not as much. Not prolific. Yeah. Yeah. Maple and tulip poplar are, are your two big ones. I mean, those ones will will blow up. Um, maybe beech too. I'm not sure. I don't see many people cut beech though, because I like beech nuts for turkeys and deer and other wildlife. They're usually pretty good. I don't, we don't have a lot. See, in the central part of the state, we have some beech, but it's not a lot. Really? Um, you start the farther you go north, the more beech you get into. The more um, I've got a lot on my property in the southwest corner, in the higher elevation, especially in the last few years, I've had a really good beech nut crop, and I've I mean I've seen deer and turkeys just mowing them down, because I yeah. think a beech nut has has really high fat content on it as well. Um, yes. But yeah, it's just so it, it's again um, even if you don't, you know, obviously like your majority of your hunting is in ag country in Ohio. Just being in these places, like going to A&F and experiencing that and trying to like hone your skills at this, it makes you a better hunter across the board. Without oh, a doubt. There's no question. And that's where um, just knowing your forages and what deer want certain times of the year is going to make you the way better hunter than, yep. you know, all the... Everybody knows that, oh, corn and soybean, corn and soybean, yep. deer love. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but... There's what are they going to eat the rest of the year? Yeah, when it comes down, you know, during off season, Jake, we have a lot of questions and conversations with, uh, you know, land guys about, you know, what types of food plots to plant, you know, and and man, it's like there's such a, uh, such a a broad mindset or diversity of of how people think about, you know, what what to plant, and so like we've traditionally stuck to brassica, clover, and brassicas, yeah, and in more more recently here especially in pennsylvania where the season is shorter you're faster growing cereal grains yeah like oats, oats and rye yeah and uh but people quickly forget that it doesn't matter what you plant especially in late fall and winter time 60 of that diet or more is browse mm-hmm. doesn't yes. matter 
there there is so if you went to Penn State, yep. look up the Penn State studies that they've done the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. I mean it doesn't matter. You can put they just did a study, they you can put in every type of food source out there on the market. When it comes down to it, those deer are going to prefer browse over any of those food sources. I think it's you the know, stability of it. You, you know? know, I mean, they, they can, they know from year to year, they can rely on browse always being there. Whereas if I don't plant or the farmer doesn't plant, like it isn't there. If I relied on that, I'm in trouble. You know what has been, it's like a, a recently emerging pattern here. We, um, I've, I've had some, some, in fact, I killed my buck last year this way. It, it seems like, yeah, you know, those, those bucks are not eaten out of these food plots, like a, a whole lot, but those does like to, they like to socialize, like they, mm-hmm. they get out there and, and the bucks know that. And yeah. so if you can put something that is also like a post, a, you know, a post, you know, a, a mock scrape is probably the, what I've had the most success with right in the middle of, so best case scenario, you've got, you know, a remote huntable food plot that does are using throughout the year that has a mock scrape that has a camera that you can monitor the food plot and the scrape knowing the scrapes probably not going to get hit by a buck until October 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th. Mm -hmm. Um, but when they, when they do, and this is an example of, even if it's at night, even it's in the middle of the night when, you know, if you can predict a, a weather pattern or something, um, you can, you can kill a buck that way, mm-hmm. you know, cause, cause not only do they know, Hey, does are in this spot. I've got to go check that. I've got to go hit that scrape. Yep. And that's where us is be, I mean, putting in a lot of people put in a singular food plot today's world. Cause you see it everywhere. People, they put on TV, whatever they'll put in a single food source. The guys that really have success year in, year out, early season, mid season, late season, if you look at how they have their area, it's a grid pattern of different food sources. Oh, so yeah. That come to the same place, yet hit this corner early, mm-hmm. the middle section, mid-season, late season, go to this food source. They can continue using that same pattern for long periods of time, which gives you basically more knowledge on you can now have more patterns. And those are the guys that kill the big, the, the giants. I, mm-hmm. I will say... I think that uh, we do that. We do quite a bit. I mean, there's, I don't know, I don't know, 10, 10 or 12 food plots. And none of them are bigger than an acre and a half. Uh, I think having done it in the past, we're really missing out not having a giant central food source. Um, even if we didn't, we probably wouldn't hunt it, but well, it would be difficult to bow hunt. I mean, those big very, food sources and that's why we stopped doing it. So, cause I did that for a few, I, I planted like a four acre bean field mm-hmm. and it was really tough to, to hunt. We didn't have a whole lot of success. We would see deer yeah. mature bucks in it, get them in bow and it range. seemed like we held more deer just on the property in general that at some point in time would come and hit mm-hmm. that. I think having, having now branched out, we've got all these small food plots, you know, some need, you know, they're not all perfect. Um, I need to get back to a central food source. Like if I can do a 10 acre bean field Mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I think you can rely on something like that to really hold deer year round, which is crazy compared to the big woods. Like where I'm looking at a central bedding area where that deer is coming back and knowing the food sources around them on the outskirts is where they're going. And I'm trying to catch them come back. Well, I think that the, I think your clear cuts in a big wood setting essentially accomplish that. Like they do. 
A hundred percent. It provides the food source that I would be planting in a 10 acre bean field and also happens to be the bedding. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. The, the clear cuts are number one. Like it's their bedding. It's their sanctuary. It's the security. It's their food. It's everything they need. And then if they, most of the time within a couple hundred yards is a water source. Yep. Exactly. Well, and that's one thing we, we haven't discussed. I know were, were you really dry in central PA this year? Yeah. Well, we weren't, we were dry, but not terrible. So maybe it was east of you. Cause I know there were guys in PA just saying how like desolate dry it's been. And I was like, dude, we, we were getting rain like every other day here in the Southwest corner. But, and you know, when it comes back to, okay, there's clear cuts for instance. So they got cleared by machine. Mm-hmm. Um, that machine usually puts big ruts yep. and there's usually water holes. That's it. Pop- yeah. Inside, so they literally have everything they need. Which will be key next. I mean, we talk about how maybe we're turned off by next week, but number one, it's November, so it ain't going to stop a buck from breeding. Number two is it's going to be in the high 60s, maybe even touch 70 a couple days. In an evening sit, if you can put water close to that bedding and every doe bedding and everything else, you've got a hell of a shot of, of killing a buck in November on that. You just got to just got to re- react to I'd this put, stuff, I'd man. put money on Jeff Sturge just killing a buck on a water hole in the next week. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And that's, and that's just his knowledge of years and years of that. And that's where, okay. So when you went into that new foods, that new clear cut, say you were going to hunt it next year, mm-hmm. the note that you should have kept is like, okay, there was a w- big giant hole. Oh, I know exactly where it would be. Hold yeah. water. Yep. yep. Okay. And then you just know that. And okay. Now two, three years from now, when it's extremely thick. Yep. You could have had a camera on there soaking all summer and been like, oh, this is the buck that's living in here, and you know it. Well, there were two skitter trails through that clear cut that in two years you'll never know exist, but literally will be where the majority of deer are using as their main travel corridor through that clear cut. Yes. That's exactly. And, and that, that, that knowledge of just doing putting their boots on the ground mm-hmm. is what gives you the step ahead. Yeah. Um, could, could for you, the year, years to come. Is there anything you can do? Like I was – you know, our, you know, we were obviously there just for a few days, but it was like, okay, they're in the clear cuts, you know, they're moving at least probably a hundred yards in a clear cut, just browsing. Even if you wanted to just dive in there and hunt in the, in the dead center of the clear cut, like there's, there's no way to, there's, there's no like, uh, at least from the outside looking in, you know, one path that they're going to take or anything like that. Is there anything you can do like even in the off season? So like, say something got caught, got cut, uh, let's say last year or so October, November of, uh, or December of 2021, could you go in this year, potentially in the summer, you know, once it's cut and stuff and, and essentially like, can you groom yourself a spot there? Can you make, can you make a small clearing with a big central licking branch, like right in the middle of it and then clear some kind of access that like only, you know, about, so come season, you've got this giant clear cut and you know, guys are going to hunt the perimeter and stuff, but you've got, you know, a cleared access to a central location with a, with a something that they're attracted to. That's where, and that's what sucks about, you can't, you cannot cut or change the manipulate it. Yeah. Yeah. You cannot manipulate the habitat. Can't manipulate the habitat. Can you pick up and move stuff with your hands? I don't know if you could move like rocks or. I'm sure you can move. I wonder about like, I wonder about tops. Like, could you just make a small clearing? I mean, people, it's already cut. people use tops and stuff to make like ground blinds and stuff. So I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm sure you could move 
Yeah, you know, I, I think you can't, you cannot remove something or cut something that is attached to the ground. So like cutting limbs, mm-hmm. um, yeah. cutting a tree, yeah. probably moving a rock. But if it's something that's laying there, I'm sure you can move it out of the way. You couldn't but dig a can, hole. I mean, uh, I wonder if you can you get could, to know somebody on the logging crew and say, hey, while you guys are going through this, you're in there. Make, See me that tree? A, make me a little opening. But again, like you could do that. And <clears throat> I, I mean, I, I could bet money on it. You probably wouldn't have success over it because well, it's the yeah. chances are uh, of something using that that you have this idea of. Yeah. So slim. Uh, one thing I will huh. say that I came across and uh, had I maybe had it more days to hunt it, I probably could have killed something is um, at the base of that fresh clear cut uh, or that hard select cut next to the four-year-old clear cut was what I would assume was an old log landing and they had white, had uh, seeded white clover and the whole thing. And it almost was like a half acre secluded food plot. And I mean, I'm talking like good clover and in a year with low acorns, I could tell the deer were hammering it. I mean, most of it was browsed real heavy. And so I would say here in the next week or so, you could have probably set up on that thing. A doe would probably pull a buck into that, into that little. And that, and that's something that's not, that's the gray area that you're allowed to do. So I actually tested it last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I went out and bought my own clover, clover seed and just throw and grow clover Mm on top of log landings because they just got done cutting it. Sure. They go back and put it on, but I was like, I hunt this. Specific, I know there's two bucks that live really close to this tip, this mm. this point. I threw down thirty pounds of seed and made it super lush in that corner. Is that legal? Sorry, I'm not to <laughs> question on the pocket. Can you can you plant seed on public land? It's. I mean, all it's doing is it's the gray it's, area. I yeah. mean, it's not baiting. It's not. Yeah, there's manip- no. Yeah. There's uh-huh. no manip. I I actually asked the forester. I was like, "What do you guys put down?" Yeah, they told me, you know, a mix of this seed, and I just went out and bought my own, and and basically made it more lush in a in a corner. Yeah, yeah, where they were already gonna seed. It, you know, it's well because Steve said, "Oh, um, where they were already gonna seed." Yes, Steve oh, said they already, they already went through and seeded it. Like yeah, it just was, it was light. I see. It was yeah, they. See. Yeah, they don't do it heavy because they they it's have a, a mile and a half of yeah it's a budget do you think you could just go put seed down anywhere i don't know about that curious um i mean that would obviously be a huge there's advantage. a lot of well you know uh, like if you could just go out there and find like a like an throw opening. a bunch of brassica seed out there yeah i'm ass- i'm assuming you can't i'm assuming you can't but i don't know yeah in an area and that they're what, already doing it probably I'll that's and that's where I asked the forester. I was literally like, "What are you guys putting down?" And they're like, "This." And I bought it, put it in the mm-hmm. luscious area. But then it turned out I put a camera on it, and it didn't. It did not change a single thing. Yeah, deer didn't use it more. Yeah. Well, I think I, it's because it's not a reliable source. It's not. It wasn't. It was just a test theory that I was like, mm-hmm. maybe the does will pound this corner more mm-hmm. early season um, because it's going to be those great. deer. I mean, those big woods deer, especially it is in, engraved in their brain, reliability, reliability. That's why right now they're just in a clear cut, buried eating brows because anything else is not reliable and they know and that. that. And, and what's, what's funny is with, it depends on how much pressure too, is I, there's actually been studies where these big, big bucks actually won't even hardly breed because yeah. they get into a, survivability yeah that's exactly what i mean that's their number one goal like yes breeding is a big part of their mindset but their number one goal is just to survive well we we see a lot of uh 
it's cool. It's cool when the, it, this kind of reveals itself. Like we, we get pictures of mature bucks that'll just like flop down in a scrape or, or buy a feeder. I had one the other day. Where yeah. they know does are going to come to. And they're like, why, you know, why work? I'm just going to, you just know, they're going to come. Yeah, I'm just going to wait here. I'm going to come. <laughs> they do that. They do that all the time. Like, it, yeah, I've had that happen multiple times. But there was a buck I, I harvested three years ago um, that, it was December. It might've been the first week of December. So this is right after the rut, right? Mm -hmm. Like the end of the rut. I might've been November, like 27th. His tarsal glands were completely white. Mm. I mean, he did not like, he had no stench. That deer did not rut. That's crazy. There's no way. I mean, my, and that's the background of my father being a taxidermist for the past 40 years, me growing up in it. Yeah. I, I literally, I looked at it. I'm like, this deer didn't rut. That's nuts. And he was the biggest buck I've ever harvested. He was a 152, you know. I think it's the survivability side. Wow. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if guys, and I'm not saying that they're not going to try to breed or, or anything like that, you know, unless it's like a, a biological or medical issue on their side. But, like, they're, they're absolutely in these big woods right now, if they don't have the acorns, they are literally just wanting to survive. And they want to breed. They absolutely do, but survivability, I think, trumps that. It, it's interesting yeah. this year and talking to you guys, I think the differences in habitat has really highlighted Huge. Because, dude, I've yeah. seen, I'm pretty sure I've had some does and asterisks like mid-October. I've had some bucks, I mean, running them, um, covering, just, covering distance and, and you yeah. know, I mean, you find they have a, a lot more April, food where I'm at. You find April fawns. I mean, that's that's middle to, you know, 20th, 21st. Usually right now, like you, 24th, what, 5th, 6th is when I see my you, first though. What asterisk. do you make of that picture I showed you the other day of them? Four bucks all all down in that crook bottom. You think there was a hot doe down there? No, I think that that was, uh, that's, that's probably territorial establishment, hierarchy establishment. Because they were all wow. kind of still hanging together. The past three days, um, even though it's been really warm. Yep. My cameras at night, I will get a picture of a doe just blazing yep. through in front of my camera. Me too. Yep. And then all of a sudden, right behind, there's a buck. Yep. Mine's I'm, been happening. That's yeah. what I'm saying for weeks. I bet. Okay. I mean, we're on the uptick here. Because, I mean, everybody thinks about, like, the first week in November. Well, that's peak. We're, we're uh, approaching peak breeding at that point. You yes. know, that doesn't mean that there hasn't been anything bred yet. It's just peak. And, I mean, again, that's where historical uh, data is good. I, I usually know... 24th, 5th, and 6th is when my first doe on the properties I hunt in Pennsylvania will go nestrous. I, I can guarantee it. I just know it. It's here, it, man. It's here, my, yeah. Our, mine up here in the, in the, and Steve will probably vouch is the 13th through the 16th is usually the first cycle. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's, that's um, about what I'm saying here. That's what I saw. But some years it's, it's different. Like it, it the historically it, it says that. I do, I do think that first, the first, first one, um, is typically it's already been decided who's breeding her. And I don't think you see as much chase. uh, Seriously. I don't think you see as much chasing. In fact, um, cause there was that buck up on the mountain and that thick stuff, like 170 inch giant. It's like the 26th of October. And he was just on her and I didn't see any chasing. I didn't see any other bucks. He was just, he just was on her. Yeah. You know, and I think there's well, I think that, that communication. Think, we don't know that is just like, okay, she's going to be first. It's mine. Then we'll I do decide think that's where there. they spend time in that area, though. Like, just like, like hanging out waiting. Like that eight, that eight point, I haven't been getting them as consistently. There's he may one, be on a doe. Well, yeah, but there, there's a lot of does over on that tile lake side. And I think it may, he may, may have been the one. And so he would just come over and, and check and check. he would say, not yet. Not yet. How do, 
Here, uh, an interesting theory I've always had too is how often are these five, six year old deer, these bucks breeding the same doe for the past three years? I bet it's a lot because some of these, those older, bigger, mature does that come into estrus first. Yep. Um, you know, it could have been the same buck, cha- you know, they know each other. Yeah. And it's, yeah, they probably okay. like, they like what they like. <laughs> yeah, they like what they, I mean, it is. It, it I think they do just occupy if that buck is 4 years old and let's say he survives till 5 and 6, he probably is not working real hard in that area to find the first doe. Now after that it gets dicey, you know, it's it's just every man for themselves essentially, but I think that first one I don't think you see as much chasing. I think it's just, it just happens. Sure, yeah. They're just, they're locked down together and they're, you know, and it's probably from him. He's been sent checking for a week now. And finally he's like, yeah. you're ready to go. Yeah. And yeah. then he just pushes her off into the secluded area and I, he disappears. I would be very surprised him. if, and there's, will be no way of knowing, but like if we kill a deer tomorrow or the next day, this is on my place I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Uh, I I would be very surprised if they hadn't bred a doe already. I would just I based would on agree. what we're seeing. Yeah. Then the thing too, so that I always keep notice on um, for guys around my my area is when do you see that first button buck by itself? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, it got it got kicked off because the doe was in heat. Yeah. And she she's kicked, she's going along. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and I I was gonna say behind my house. Yeah, I had like five button bucks in the field and there were does in the field all October. Now, I think yesterday I saw one button buck by himself. I'm like, all right, where's the doe? She never showed. And it's like, okay, something's about to go down. That, that's exactly right. So if you can keep up with that, that small stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it it is it is in the details. And again, maybe we overanalyze some things too much, but I'd rather live in those details than than constantly be missing something that is the key puzzle piece to making it all happen. Cause that that's exactly you can have all these details, but then it does boil down to you got to put time in the woods. That's it. Yeah. Well, Jake, where um where can guys kind of find out more about the void and everything that you're doing there? Um, so through my socials, Instagram, TikTok, and and I'm launching the YouTube channel. Um, what are your handles, Jake? You shout them out. Uh, it's just Jake Belinda. Okay. Um, it's pretty much all all my personal stuff, and then the Void Hunt. Cool. Um on YouTube and Instagram. What do you, so, and what 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 can we expect on the YouTube channel coming up? Um so I've had basically the past 2 3 years everything you've seen on my socials like yep. uh box I they I have everything on film. Oh sweet. So it is now um being a one man crew trying to continue to hunt and edit and film and produce something. It's tough hard. man. Yeah. Well, that's, that's cool, the- man. We, I, I'm excited yeah. to check some of that out. And, you know, I'm sure if people listen to this and go watch it, we'll see a lot of the things we're talking about come to life probably in those in those videos. Yes. I uh, I give some more in-depth secrets um, on what I do, the daily day, the day to day stuff. So like my just like the the brand, so to speak, um, socials is where I give the nitty gritty, like why I'm doing something. Mm hmm. So that's kind of, and then my personal stuff is more of the highlights. Cool, man. That's awesome. awesome. Well, yeah. Well, everybody listen to this, check out Jake's personal pages and uh, be ready to check out The Void on on YouTube and catch some of these full videos coming out. And yeah, man, listen, we appreciate you coming on. And hopefully by the time people are listening to this, we all have got, you know, punch tags, <laughs> you know, because we'll be about sometime in second week in November, I think when this goes out. But um, yeah, it's exciting time, man. We... <laughs> We say it all the time, but we live like 11 and a half months for like the next two to three weeks. 
That's yep. just, just what we were bred for. Time to put the time, you know, in the woods. Like That's it. Uh, a, a big proponent, if I have a tip for anybody, is take your lunch with you. Do not go to the truck because it can happen at any time. So many people like would be like, I got to go get lunch. Oh, that buck that I was after ran in front of my camera at 130. Mm-hmm. Get down out of the tree. You can, but be ready at all times. Yeah. There you go, man. Cool. Awesome, Jake. Well, we appreciate it, buddy. And uh, we'll definitely catch up here after the season, see how everything went. Sounds good. All right, dude. Later. And oh, just another good Pennsylvania talk. <laughs> like, it's applicable in a lot more places than that. But again, man, you keep finding guys that, that re- just are ate up with deer hunting. And dude, well, dude, we're, we're finding like a crew of, of PA boys, which I'm digging. Like, here, yeah. here recently, like, we, you know, we, I bought my license again for the first time in a couple of years and, mm-hmm. and, and, and what did jake jake said he was like was it this year that he's hunted 22 states or something yeah holy shit boy's been after it like that's cool and and so that's what i'm saying is like they're that's like he, a state a day that's like a state a day <laughs> so even 22 states in the country <laughs> um but it you know you start to get like these guys that you know they've they've developed their skills like jake in pennsylvania big woods <laughs> And again, this is no knock to anyone across the Midwest because we've already stirred that pot. But dude, it's it's tough. It's really tough. And so as you take those skills you developed in a very tough situation of hunting, and it could be Michigan, could be Wisconsin, whatever, and you start to apply those in other areas, I don't I don't know if you've got necessarily a leg up, but you have trained yourself in one of the hardest situations and hardest territories. For sure, you do. To then I mean, dude, take it's, it's just like pot. anything. It's like shooting your bow at a hundred yards. You know. Yeah, to, to plan to kill one at forty, you know, yes. it's, it's just easier. It's like uh, putting a hundred pounds on your back and going to stair stepper for you know to go and when you take that out, it's a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, and so I, you know, I'm not saying that because there's definitely other places that are super hard, like upstate New York and in Michigan and Wisconsin, but like we take our skills, we hone in Pennsylvania, and we go and apply them in Kansas, and it's a lot easier to kill buck there. I mean, that's why we go. Um, yeah. So it is interesting. Um, that said, I also want to talk. We've got some new apparel. Cool. Coming out. Um, so we got the new hunter, deer hunter, buck hunter, whatever you want to call it. New graphic tee. We've got the original. And some logo tees. Logo tee. And then we've got the new OD green. Yeah. O- pretty, green. pretty straightforward. Some logo tees. I, yep. I think it's a cool logo. Yep. Pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Uh, we got them pretty cheap too. I think it's like 20, 20 bucks a shirt or something like that. Yep. And then, do we have hats or do we need to order more? We hats? still have hats. We have hats. So Jeremy and I are both wearing. I got a black one. Jeremy's green. got a green one. So we've got some hats. We've got some logo tees that we're putting out there. Um, so if you like the podcast, if you want Nick to eat next week, mm-hmm. you will buy a hat. Yeah, please or a shirt. Yeah, or both. If he wants to get that, <laughs> maybe he gets a dessert if, with. If uh, he wants that Baja blast <laughs> yeah. with his Taco Bell, you've got to buy a shirt because otherwise, no Baja blast. <laughs> no Baja blast for Nick. He's like. <laughs> They're like, do you want a Baja Blast? He's like, I'll take a water. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, so we got some new logo tees. But yeah, man, I uh, October 26th is is today. This is coming out, whatever, November something. Like, just get out there, be in the woods, um, get aggressive, and get it done. That's Check it. out some of Jake's stuff, man. We'll, uh, you know. Yeah, the void. We'll be keeping up with these guys, and we got another PA boy coming on next, Mister Johnny Stewart. Do I think it's it's affirmation that we are on the right track with these guys when 
each consecutive one, they're like, oh, you got to talk to so-and-so. I'm like, he's this afternoon. Yep, we just talked to him. He's this afternoon. Yeah. Yep. So very cool. But, um, yeah, check out some of Jake's stuff, The Void, on YouTube. And we will see you next week for episode 100. Later. It's take me. Oh.